You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. If you would like to follow along in here watching online, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, just working through the book. That uh, is on page 1003, if you're using one of those pew Bibles under the seats somewhere around you. And praise the Lord, so many of you bring Bibles, because now, because there's so many of us in here, we probably don't have enough under the seats to go around. So uh, we'll reserve those for those who you know, really need it, or if you forgot your Bible. But thank you for bringing your Bible, opening your Bible app, and following along. Romans chapter 8. Looking at verses 12 through 17, I would like to start with God's word, that we would just sit under this and and just let it flood over us. God's word says this, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But... If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, there is nothing in this world that can offer us the hope that we long for, that can fill the void that can comfort us when we're afraid, that can take away the anxiety, that can heal the depression, that can do all that we long for, and that can only be found in you. So Lord, if if you're not in those things, if you're not using them as a means by which to bring us close to you, Lord, we just want to put them where they belong, just under our feet. We thank you for the blessings of the things of this world and the joy that they can bring, Lord, but we want you to be the utmost, the desire and longing of our heart. And Lord, I know that if we continue to long after those things, they're not going to do what we need. But if we long after you, God, I know and I I thank you so much that you're drawing us, that you will heal us, that you will will comfort us, that you will guide us, that you save us, that you, you grow us, Lord, and we find our greatest pleasure and joy in you. So this morning, Lord, as we read this word about how you bring us into your family, God, let it sink in so deeply it can never be lost. It never uh, is overshadowed by things of the world. It's never overshadowed by our, our childish desires, Lord, but we are continually reminded sin has no hold. You've adopted us as your children. God, it's my plea this morning that we hear it from this text. I don't know if I can even give it even close to what it needs. So help me to preach it, and to preach it straight, and to preach it right, that it would impact our lives, and comfort us, and guide us, Lord, we want you, Lord, we just want you, we want to cry out, Abba, Father, oh, Daddy, oh, Father, Lord, we want you in that way, so conform our hearts to yours, and conform our minds to yours, and conform our actions to your desires, Lord, to make us holy, and 
and righteous and grow us in maturity so that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, every lie the world throws at us or where we can find happiness or where we can find um, a, a path, Lord. We want to fight against that and we want to draw to you. And Lord, help us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in this family as you would have us to do so, as you've commanded us to do so. Put it in us to love one another when we don't even know how to love. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing this work by the power of your word. May it be seen in us today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So the author of the book of Romans, which is Paul and God together, God using Paul to make this argument, has, has been letting us know, has been bringing us through this, this argument that we're all children of wrath, we're condemned under God's judgment, um, there is judgment for sin, and sin includes our sin nature that we inherited from our first earthly father, Adam, and it includes our personal sin that we do. But he's reminded us that, that God saves. For those who are in Christ, God saves. But for those who are not in Christ, they remain condemned. That's where he's been going, and now in this section, these verses we just read, we see two parts of the argument continue to unfold. It works in two parts. The first part, verses 12 and 13, they make the point. Again, sin has no hold on the believer, on, on us. And now the second part, verses 14 through 17, goes on to explain why. Right? Paul is supplying us with yet another reason why Christians should look different than the world. Why we should have hope in the most difficult times. Why we should be able to love. Why we should be able to endure the struggles of this world, which incidentally is where he goes next, which we're going to be dealing with next Sunday. If you're struggling with how to journey through this difficult world, my goodness, God has an answer for us here. This is the section that we're going to look at this morning on why these things are. Why? And here's the big why. Believers in Christ are God's children, and God's children live. That's what this says, and it comes in these two parts. So it's my aim this morning to take this in these two parts. First, this section we've kind of been dealing with that puts a bow on the whole thing, and then this big why. They work together. But first, there's something in this text that I have to deal with up front, like head-on. Uh, I can't get away from it because it's vital to the proper interpretation and the meaning and the application of what we're going to read, and I don't want this to be missed. So let's look at that real quick before we get into these two parts. Go ahead and take a look down at your Bible. If you look at verse 12, I want you to notice something. And if um, I've trained you really well, I've trained you very well. If what you noticed was so then, and you go, oh, oh, I know what happens now. This, this has to do with what's been said before. So then means that everything we're going to read here actually is connected to and comes out of what Paul has been arguing for pages and pages. So maybe you realized, oh, this is because God does the saving work. This is because God is um, 
filling us with his Holy Spirit. This is because for his salvation, he gets all the glory, right? If you see all the, this is so we need to understand how grace works with, with, with works and how those two go together. And now this is going to play out when we get that right. If you saw all that, man, great job. You nailed it. You got it. <laughs> Except that's not what I'm talking about. If you just go a little bit more, a little bit more is the issue we, we really need to look at. If you look there, you see the words brothers, or if you're using the CSB translation like I am, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? Delphos is the Greek word. It can mean male children born from the same womb, right? Brothers like like uh, James and John in Matthew 4, 21. Or it can mean a formal address to people of the same race. That was fairly common. We see Stephen do that with the Jewish leaders before they stone him to death in Acts 7, 2. Or more commonly, much more commonly, it can mean a close affinity. Okay, especially for those who are Christians together. This is the most common term, brothers or brothers and sisters, for believers in the early church. And we see it play out a lot, probably because, in all honesty, they've, they've grabbed onto these verses we're going to read. They say we're adopted into Christ's family, and if we're adopted into Christ's family, then that informs how we relate to one another. Now we're family. Now we're brothers and sisters. That's what the word can mean. Now, ladies, just a little side note. Delphos can mean brothers, males born of the same womb, a measure of address of people of the same race, or this close affinity, and it can mean brothers and sisters, depending on the context. It can't mean sisters only. There's a different word for that. But it can, it can mean this. So I think the CSB got it right, because context dictates who the audience is, and the audience includes believing women. And the context here clearly means that Paul is addressing believers. Believers of the gospel. Believers of Jesus Christ who've surrendered their lives to him. Who've submitted to his ways. Who've repented and believed. Who the Holy Spirit dwells inside of. Believers. Not just how we sort of flippantly use the word Christians for anyone who's stepped foot in a church building in the last decade. Believers, Paul's addressing brothers and sisters who are adopted into Christ's family. So, if you're here this morning, or you're watching online, and, and you're not sure who Jesus is yet, you're still working it out, like I, I want to offer you some encouragement. I want to say, keep working that out. That's really great. And we're here for you to help in that. I want to encourage that you listen to what I'm going to say about being adopted into God's family. And you don't just scoff, you don't just blow it off. Think about it, work on it. Let it ruminate in your head. Ask God, even if you're not sure if he's really there, to show you. I just want to encourage that. And then finally, I want to encourage you to repent and believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's Lord regardless of whether you say so or not. And repenting means turning away from your ways and turning away from you thinking you can call the shots. I mean, it's not really working for any of us, right? And let God call the shots. And then you can be among the brothers and the sisters. And now, (laughs) 
I'm just begging that you would do this because John 1.12 says to all who would receive Jesus, he gives them the right to become children of God. And I want you to be my brother or my sister. And I want you to love Jesus because I believe in this wholeheartedly. Now, I realize I'm not, I don't have time today. I can't, in this sermon, explain how all that works and what all that really means. But you need to work on that. So I recognize you're going to need to work through that. So if you want to talk with me about it, I want to talk with you about it. So come up right after the service and say, I want your time. And we'll go and we'll sit down and I will talk with you about what this means. Let's make an appointment. Let's chat. If you're here with another believer or a Christian or your parents, say, look, I want to know because right now I'm, I don't have it locked in. Can you help me? It's that important. But the reason I'm sharing all this up front and the reason why we have to deal with this head on is because this text is addressing a specific group of people, brothers and sisters. And so if that's not you, it's not addressing you. And as a good, faithful pastor and preacher, I've got to go where this text goes. And so I really need to spend the remainder of my time addressing brothers and sisters. But I encourage you, please listen. Please hear what's here because I am begging the Lord that he would bring you into this family with us. Okay. Put that over here. Brothers and sisters, we have some things we need to attend to here in the Word. So let's look at that. If you would look at Romans 12 and 13, I want to read that first section again. Let's get it fresh in our mind. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if the Spirit... Uh, excuse me, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, okay, back to the so then that all of you saw and you're learning. That's really good. Okay, let's bring that back in. We've been saved by God. We've been born again, and the Spirit of God lives in us. That's what he's talking about. Our mindset is now on the, the Spirit, not on the flesh. Praise be to God. But maybe that's not me. Or maybe you've questioned it's not you because I still struggle with sin. How in the world could I say I'm a believer and my mind is on the Spirit when I just keep having these problems and I just keep, I hate this, I keep dabbling in sin. Oh no, maybe I'm not a child of God. Maybe I, maybe I have a big problem. Maybe you've asked yourself that question. So now what Paul is assuring the brothers and the sisters is that we are not... Look at the word in the CSB, especially obligated to the flesh. We are not indebted to the flesh. We are not slaves to the flesh and to our sin. Remember what Paul said in Romans 6, 16? He says, do you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to that one you obey? And then he goes on to say, we were slaves, past tense. We were slaves to sin. We were obligated to sin. We were indebted to sin. But then he goes on to say, we are now enslaved to righteousness if we're indeed saved. So praise the Lord. Okay, praise the Lord. That old taskmaster of the flesh, that old slave driver of sin has no hold on you and you owe him nothing. Not a zero. Don't even look back. Put your hand to the plow and go forward. Yeah, we still struggle with sin. I, we do. 
but we're not slaves to it anymore because we don't obey it. We don't like it. Something has changed in us. We're praying now that our mindset would continue to be conformed to God's. We're praying that we could put it to death. Okay, and a word of caution here because this could be read differently. Okay, if you look at just verse 13 and you just read that, it would look like this conditional statement that says, if you kill sin, then you'll live. But that, that can't possibly be what that is, right? Paul has just spent page after page after page after page saying that's not the case. That is not our works. We don't have to get ourselves cleaned up. No, what this is, is I mean, that, what this is is a statement of evidence that we are saved. Okay, what he's saying is, here's the assurance that you'll live. Because by the Spirit working in you, you're going to see sin being put to death in your life. You're going to see him working it out. You're going to see you working it out. Yes, we have a responsibility to join with the Spirit and put sin to death, but we're not obligated to it. We're not obligated to that flesh, that way of life, that sin. It's gone. We're free from it. And then by implication, we're now obligated to God. We've traded, we've switched it up. Romans 14, 8 says, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We're his, right? He's, he's, he's freed us. And this, this act of working out the, the sin is evidence to us that we're saved, You see it? We're not owned by the sin any longer. Sin has no hold on the Christian. Let me see if I can explain it this way. On occasion, I'll have someone who wants to meet with me. They come to my office. He or she will sit down. Say, I think, I don't know if I'm a Christian because I just, I have this problem with sin. I just keep, I go back to it and and it's horrible. And it's awful and I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell because, because I can't, I can't do this. I, this is horrible. I must not be a believer, because why would I do this if I was a believer? And then I ask, how did you determine that you're sinning? And they say, well, the scripture says this and that, and they go on and they quote some Bible verses and things. And I said, do you, do you, do you feel bad about it? Do you feel conviction? Oh, yes, it's terrible. It's awful. I hate this. And they feel this tremendously deep conviction, and I say, do you think the Holy Spirit is showing you this? Oh, yeah. I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. He's flooding me with this. And I say, well, that settles it. You're fine. You're in good shape here. We're going to be a-okay because Romans 8.14, which is where we're going next, says, for those led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. Those who aren't led by God's Spirit, when they sin, they don't care. They make excuses for it. They brush it off. Or none of, nobody's perfect. We're all humans. I'm generally a good person. Those who are led by God say, well, the Bible says this, and oh my goodness, what do I do when I want to please my Lord? Well, you're, you're in good shape. You're a child of God. And so that is where Paul goes next. So it's no wonder that when Paul wants to say sin has no hold on us, his proof, the statement he's going to make, is that we are adopted into God's family. That's what all these next verses are, is the proof of his statement. Let me show you, he says that I'm right. Let me show you, you're a child of God. 
You've been adopted. Let's look at those verses. Verses 14 through 17. Let's get them fresh in our mind. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Now, that word actually is sons, but it applies to the ladies too. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I'm not going to get into all the Abba stuff. You probably heard sermons like that. It's like a term of endearment. Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. The doctrine of adoption, the biblical theology of adoption is so worth your time in study. It's so worth your attention. It's a good place to camp out for a long while. In fact, I would challenge any of you, if you are afraid about anything, if you feel anxiety, if you feel worry, if you're unsure about the future, if you're depressed, if you feel lonely, if you are struggling, you need to take some time and study the doctrine of adoption. Look at those words. Look at what's happening there. It's, it's, it's one of the most wonderful, remarkable doctrines of all the Bible. And I get so sad when I see Christians that get very, and I was this way for some time early in my life, they get so focused on themselves and their freedom in Christ Oh, I can do this and I can do that. Free in Christ is so great that they just kind of totally neglect the reality that they've been made a child of God. They've been brought into a family. They have this good, wonderful, loving, holy God walking with them. Right? We just miss it. Like, well, see it. It's so wonderful. It's God's proof that we're not bound by sin. Or, or the other thing that makes me sad is when Christians get so wound up on one doctrine, like it's the focus of everything that they think about and do and study. Every sermon has to do with the same doctrine. Every study, every book, they get so focused on one doctrine, creation, end times, soteriology, Calvinism, whatever, that they never get around to taking a little bit of energy and getting focused on this doctrine. It just makes me want to weep. Brothers and sisters, we need the whole counsel of God, or you're just empty. So whatever your, whatever your big thing is, take a pause. still going to be there when you come back. And study adoption because it's so beautiful. You can tell I really love this doctrine, right? <laughs> it's so good. So, okay, back to my notes. Wayne Grudem defines adoption, biblical adoption, this way. I think this is a good definition. Adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. Adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. Now that's Grudem's take on it. So let's get God's take on it. If you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read verses 3 through 6. We read it last week, but let's get God's definition. Let's see it here. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless 
in love before him. Here it is. He predestined us to what? To be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Adoption is so wonderful. <laughs> because we were, um, we were in a different family. The Bible says we were children of wrath. We were in the wrath family. And the closest thing we had to a spiritual father or a spiritual brother or anyone to care for us in this wrath family was Satan. That's the family we came out of when we were adopted. That family's like Lord of the Flies. And by the way, it's a whole different word problem with a historical translation problem. Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. It's a reference to Satan, but the word is probably actually Beelzebul, which is Lord of the Dung Heap. That's what Jesus says Satan is, but that was the closest thing we had to a spiritual father. That is a crappy family. Pun intended. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. Just... It wouldn't have passed muster. <laughs> Here's the thing. We need to get this. We really need to get this. We were orphans in a street gang. Right? But God adopted you and me if, if you're saved. Even when we were the most wretched, the most thieving, villainous, unruly, rebellious, wild child, orphans. There was nothing he saw in us that was good. But it was because he loved us that we get to be good and in his family. Now, some of us struggle with this a lot. We, we struggle to see just how loving and just how amazing our heavenly father is because we didn't have good earthly fathers. Some of us didn't have great earthly fathers. That can't be your excuse anymore because I have news for you. Even those of you that had a good earthly father, which was a blessing of God that you got to have that in the first place, that good earthly father still failed you in one way or another. So does your mom. All sinful, broken humans are imperfect and will in one way or another fail you. So whether your father was really bad or eh, not as great, they all pale in comparison to the perfection of our heavenly father. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. So we can't let the relationships we have with the bad earthly dad ruin our relationship with our perfect heavenly father dad. That's nonsense. That just lets your bad dad continue to taint your good life. Let that go. We all have an imperfect dad, but we all can have if we're saved, and we do have if we're children of God, a perfect heavenly father dad. That's the whole point. That's why God's adoption into his family is so wonderful. This, this should just blow our minds. This is the proof for all of this. Those who God saved because he wanted to adopt us as his children have a perfect heavenly father who loves us and cares for us and will protect us and will lead us and will guide us so that we will live. He's not losing any of them. Because if he did, he wouldn't be perfect. He's got you. He's got us. An earthly adoption serves as a really great 
illustration of godly adoption. I, um, I remember when God put the desire for adoption in my wife and I's heart. Okay, it was years before my oldest, who we adopted, Asher, was even conceived. He wasn't even in the picture at all, and yet we had this weird deposit from our Heavenly Father that we're going to love this child. We didn't know him. We didn't meet him. We loved him, and as the process continued to go, it was like we were loving him more and more, not even having ever really met him. The same thing happens when, you're, when you have a baby in the womb, right? You go see the, the little feet, and you're like, I can't love this kid anymore, and then you find out. like it just like, But with this adoption, it was this long process, and yet our love was growing and growing and growing. The same exact thing happened for Daniel. You know? And then decisions were being made. Right? Decisions were being made that we're going to adopt this child, and and it was before Asher was even born. Before Daniel was born, we had made the decisions. This kid's going to be our kid. And then I remember, man, holding both of them. You know, you're looking, at, you're looking at this child that you've been loving for years, never having even met. I felt like my heart was going to burst out of my chest and explode. I loved this kid so much. My very first glance at these children, I, I can't. This is amazing thing I could possibly ever experience. This is a wonderful. And then they're just looking at me like, feed me. I got a poopy diaper. That's all they're contributing to the whole arrangement. Needs and poop, right? They didn't do anything in the whole process of this. They didn't do anything to earn our love. They didn't do anything to make my heart want to explode out of that kind of love for them. They didn't perform right. They didn't get themselves all cleaned up first. They didn't toe the line. I mean, they weren't even born when that love was erupting in me and in my wife. And here's the thing. My wife and I, Lisa and I, we love all of our kids unconditionally unconditionally but I want to explain that because we let our understanding of God's love and our understanding of some of these things sometimes confuse us and then it really sends us off in kind of some weird ways okay so let me explain this and maybe it's true of your children too so maybe your children will be a good illustration and for those who don't have children I'm going to have an illustration about marriage and for those of you who are not married you're just going to have to really do your best to come up with another illustration because I'm going to be limited for time I love my children no matter what okay so what that means is they're not going to lose my love if they do something bad okay think about like the prodigal son and this father who was waiting for him and longing for him his father loved him okay but on the other hand my kids can, and your kids and the prodigal son's kids can, can behave in ways that increase our pleasure and we're pleased with them or disappoint us. Okay, they decrease this. Okay, I know this is true because this is why you don't hang a report card full of F's on the refrigerator. Okay, this is true. It's why we are not happy when our kids fight with each other. Okay, or we catch them doing something bad. It's not like, I love you unconditionally, so you just do whatever you want. Nothing's going to change. 
Okay, those things are not connected in that way. The love is unconditional, but my pleasure or displeasure kind of ebbs and flows. So let me put this another way. I'm married to my wife. Okay, we, we stood up for God and witnesses. We made a covenant to one another. We made a promise, and that is a union. Okay, that's a union. We're married. But our communion, communion ebbs and flows a little bit. Sometimes we're more pleased with one another. Sometimes we're less pleased with one another. All right, that doesn't mean that when my wife is displeased with me a little bit or a lot because I procrastinated the painting of the trim in her home, it doesn't mean that I'm less married to her. Okay, I didn't wake up 30% less married. Our marriage, I got a 70% marriage going on. It doesn't work that way. All right, the union is fixed. Our communion ebbs and flows a little bit, and there are things I can do that really please my wife. There are also things I can do that really displease my wife. She can't displease me at all. It's, I'm just kidding. This is how these things work, right? So does that help us to see that's how God's love works. God's love is unconditional, but our behavior can please him or disappoint him. We need to understand these two things are different. They're not the same. God's love is constant. He shows us how great his love is by he sending Jesus to die on the cross, John 3:16. He showed us his love by saving us when we were his enemies, those wretched orphans in the terrible gang. Romans 5.8. He shows us his love by the truth that there is no way, he says. He promises that we can lose our salvation. Read John 10. No matter how bad you act, if you're my child, you're not getting out of my hand. I got you. It's the prodigal going, I'm really disappointed in that kid who ran off to the big city, but I love him. I pray he comes back. Right? He can be more or less pleased with us by our behavior. So just because he loves you unconditionally does not mean that your sin pleases him. Now, unfortunately, in some unhealthy families and in some unhealthy marriages, maybe humans, sinful humans, have manipulated this to make it so that the behavior of someone else influences their love rather than their pleasure or displeasure. They've, they've inappropriately intertwined those things so that you feel like you have to earn their love and you lose their love. And you're, you're, We kind of understand how that works. It doesn't work that way with God. It does not. He's not loving you less. He's not, he's not uh, disappointed. You can't earn more love. But there is this aspect of he wants to see you do well. God is pleased when we obey him. All right, this is why he's pleased when, verse in verse 13, by the Spirit we put to death the flesh. That pleases God. Okay, and like in every single household, every single one of you, whether it's vocalized or not, have house rules of some kind, spoken or unspoken. You have house expectations. If you don't believe me, I'd be happy to come over to your house and light your couch on fire. You tell me you don't have some house rules. Okay? We all have sort of these things, these expectations in our homes. Okay? That we live by and together, and so does God. 
God has house rules. He has a, an ethic by which we live in his family and an expectation he puts on his children. Okay, but it's not bad. They're not these domineering, horrible rules. He's a good and perfect and loving father. For a season, my father had zero rules. And you know what I learned over time? That's not cool. It shows he doesn't care. God cares. He's disciplining us for his good. He's, he's showing us his expectations so that we can grow and that we can mature. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to grow in his righteousness. Why? Because he loves us. And we should want to avoid sin. We should want to obey him because we love him. And because also we know that what he's got for us is good for us. It helps us to relate to one another. He's showing us, he's teaching us how to get by in this world and how to get by in eternity with him. These are good things. We should cherish them. So it's no wonder that Paul goes to this proof in order to assure the brothers and the sisters, those adopted, that they will be saved if they're in Christ and that they're God's children. No wonder. I mean, when we get this down, when we understand where we fit in this arrangement, all the worry and the fear and the doubt, they just start to fade away. They do. We don't start pushing back against our good daddy. We see that what he has is good for us. We don't want to be like the teenager that thinks he knows everything and knows better than God. He loves us. He has the best in mind for us. He is the perfect father and he's going to protect and he's going to care for and he's going to guide his children perfectly. He's not like you and me. We look back, you know, and we're like 30 and we go, oh, my parents had a point there. Dang it. He's not like that. And it might not feel like, you know, what you want sometimes or what I want sometimes. It's because we're not that much different than a kid who just wants candy for dinner or the teenager who wants to crank his bike up on I-15 at 120 miles an hour, right? race down the freeway. Or the child who refuses to grow up and, and pay her own bills or his own bills. Right? We want our kids to have these good things, and God is so much more than that. We're just a small illustration that falls apart for the perfection of God's parenting. In the next section of Romans, when we move on, God is he's going to turn from this truth. You're God's children. He's going to turn to, so as God's children, you can get through this crazy upside-down world. You can endure this suffering because you're God's children. And Dad is right there guiding and directing and, and leading us. And in that section, he says in Romans 8.28, he says, we know that all things, and he's talking about suffering, discipline, God, all things, the difficulties, the illnesses, the struggles, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. That becomes so much more significant and vibrant in our lives when we realize that it's God directing us to those good things, not us saying, that's good, therefore I get it. Let's grow up in this. Let's mature in this. Because we know what's good for God's children is good because God loves us. He loves you. The difficult thing you're going through right now, he's with you. If you're with him, if you're his child, He's got you. When you're weeping, he's weeping. Sometimes it's a little bit of tough love. You might need it. Sometimes it's he's working through it, but it is all for his good. And it's for your good because you're his children. 
because we're in his family. It's good. Believers in Christ are God's children, and God's children live. And God's children are loved, and God's children are cared for, and God's children are protected, and God's children are disciplined, which is discipling. God's children are guided. God's children are advised. God's children are led. God's children are cherished. God's children get to experience joy. God's children have someone to go to on the worst and hardest days. God's children are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, inheriting the very kingdom of God. So if you're in Christ... You are God's adopted child. Like, isn't that just amazing? That's just amazing. It's like the great news. It's awesome. We need to get that in our head, and then, then when, we, we, when we get that, we can just let, we can let that be wonder and joy. We can live in that. We can marvel in it. It can inform our worship. We can live to cherish God's love, seeking to... Be close to him, always longing for his word. We can just rest in that. And let us give our lives to pleasing our Abba Father who loves us. Let's bow our head. Thank you, Abba Father. Thank you, God, for adopting us into your family. Thank you for the things that feel hard because we know you're growing us in them. Give us the strength to endure and not talk back, sass talk you. Give us the strength to see that you're doing it for our good. Thank you for the difficulties you give us in this world that come from all sorts of means that are shaping us and conforming us and preparing us for eternity with you. Thank you for the good things and the many blessings you give us, all of it that you want to bless us with in Christ. Let us see all of our blessings are in Christ. They're not in our fancy hot rod in the parking lot. They're not in the good job we're hoping for, the great vacation, good house, the whatever, all of our blessings, any blessing we could ever hope from from you, as your word says, is in Christ. Thank you, Lord. We know where to find all our blessings. It's no secret. It's not hidden. So let us turn to Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you're a perfect father. And Lord, for those of us who, who maybe have had struggles with our human relationships. Please don't, please don't let those taint our relationship with you. Help us to see it right and good. Please. And God, I've been talking to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, your children, but Lord, there are some maybe even in here or watching online that aren't there yet. Please, Lord, draw them in. Please, Lord, adopt them. Please let them not push you away, but long for you, that your Holy Spirit would lead them, that they would be your children, that they would give up the Lord of the flies and the Lord of the dung heap and the wrath of this world and this difficulty and just turn to you and say, I've, I've had it. And Lord, for those who are far from you, they're your children, but they're like that prodigal son. Bring them home. They could be in your arms that you would slaughter the fattened calf and celebrate their return. Oh, God, thank you so much. 
that you would adopt a wretched sinner like me, like us. In Jesus' name, we offer this very humble and certainly not worthy prayer, but we know that you love us and you accept it. Continue to grow us in your ways. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.